You know, today uh, obviously is a, is a special Sunday because of what we get to do together, just celebrate. I take one Sunday every year to talk about the vision of the church uh, and, you know, why we got started, what we want to see God do, how we want to see God do it. And so I'm really excited to talk to you today just about uh, our church and why do we even exist? Why, why did we start this in the first place? Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin and I'm the pastor here. And thank you for coming to celebrate with us on such an incredible day like today. Uh, the, at the end of the movie, what you saw as Stephanie created, she did a rewind. And that rewind went all the way back to our first public gathering, uh, and it was at Coco Grinder on 86th Street and 3rd Avenue. Uh, the owner, Abdul, was nice enough to shut down his place for three hours. Uh, actually, it was around five hours, an hour before and an hour after for setup, uh, and it, totally for free, uh, just allowed us to use his space. Uh, we had around 30 people come to that showed interest in you know, what are you doing? What is this church about? Uh, and ever since then, it's just been one of the most wild rides, wild roller coaster ride. Um, for me, for many of the core team, right after that, we had several people join right after. Uh, and, you know, a, a lot of people ask, why did you, why do you start a church? Um, and really, Hopefully, there's only one answer that you will ever hear uh, to that question, and it's because God told us to. And this did not come out of some crazy pipe dream of wanting to have a platform or a title or be famous or anything like that. If you go into ministry, anybody that's been in ministry long enough, if you go into ministry with those pipe dreams, you are in for one huge disappointing life. Uh, <laughs> Really, uh, this kind of dream, this vision started um, around eight, nine years ago. I was reading a book, an autobiography of another church planner, uh, and it was, I knew God was doing something in my heart while I was reading this book because usually I'm reading about five books at a time, and I read about five to ten pages of each book a day, and it takes me months to get through one book, obviously, at that pace, uh, but this book I read in a day and a half. It was a 250-page book, 200-page book, something like that. And I read it in a day and a half and cried through around half of the book. And that was the first moment that I thought, man, maybe... I knew God was calling me specifically to ministry, but that was the first time I started to think, maybe God is calling me to plant a church. Uh, and that was a long time ago. Uh, and... For those of you that look around and think like, oh my gosh, what happened? Uh, I want you to take a second to look around, look behind you if you're all the way in the front, look in front of you to the sides. This is not normal. That is the truth. This is not normal, what you see. Um, you know, I, I went to church planning school. Uh, it was a two-year school where they, they gave me a couple of statistics. They said there were two things that I remember them saying specifically. They said nobody between 80 to 100% of your core team that you start with will be gone within the first two years. 
And they told me um, that you would be lucky, lucky, lucky to have more than 50 people after two years. Uh, And I was happy to report a couple of months ago uh, that everybody on our core team is still with us. Not one person from our core team has left. And that God had a work ready and planned for in Bay Ridge, and look at how many people were ready for it as well. You know, a lot of people, they ask, you know, they want to put everybody on a pedestal. How did you do this? What was your strategy? How did you accomplish this? Uh, And I can really honestly say that if it was based off of my strategy or any one person's strategy in our team or one of our thoughts, uh, we'd probably still be meeting in my living room with about 10 to 15 people uh, because God had different plans, different ideas, and, and what he wanted to happen was going to happen. And what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about culture building because that's One of the things that I've seen God do the most over the last two years and what I think is going to define us as a church in the next decades to come. Because what I really think that God wants to do in Zion NYC is he doesn't just want to create an organization that meets once a week or twice a week if we do a midweek small group or something like that in order so we can have a good time on Sunday. But what I think... And I believe and I sense what God is doing with our church is he is creating a culture that will spark a movement where we will see people come to know God, come to love God, to be discipled, and to go out to see more of this movement of this culture spread. This is not about... 20 people being in charge of an organization. This is about a group of people who love God more than anything else and want to spread his word to everybody that they can. And Paul writes in Colossians, he's writing to the church, and we're going to look at the scripture because what I believe Paul is focused on is really interesting. It's a lot different than what we see leaders writing to the church today. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, this is what Paul writes. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now I'm going to look at this passage through the eyes of a leadership lens today. Paul, what he was doing here was he was describing the church 
and the culture that needed to be built in the church. What he was not describing was the methodology or the system that the church needed to use to grow. Right? Paul was not telling them, this is how you are supposed to organize your house church here. Paul was much more interested in the culture that they were building towards one another. And if you look at the books that are coming out, most of all today, that are consumed, you know, I'm caught red-handed in this, Exhibit A, is Systems and Methods to How to Grow a Church. This is the number one product that most pastors are reading and writing about. But what I find in Scripture is we find so little about this in Scripture, And it's because what Jesus did and then what the apostles continued to do was build a culture, is build value systems, is build a set of ideals that every single person adhered to and understood and thought this is the way that we live. Paul did not say, all right, on Tuesday at nine o'clock, this is how you're going to do a Bible study. You are going to read 10 verses, you know, from beginning to end, and you'll have 10 minutes to reflect and 10 minutes to pray and 10 minutes to do this. This is, this is not what Paul did, and this is not what we see in Scripture. And so what's really hard is Americans have turned the church into a business. We've turned this into an organization, and if you think that Americans are the first person, first people group to ch- change the church into something that it's not, you're wrong. You know, Greek culture turned church into a philosophy. The Romans turned it into a political system because that's what they did with everything. The Americans have turned it into a church, into a business because that is what we do with everything. And what we have to do is we have to look back and say, what did God want to have the church be like? What did he want the church to experience? And when Paul looks at the church, specifically in this passage, he gives them ways to live. And he doesn't give it just to the leaders. He doesn't give it just to the professionals. He gives it to the entire church. And he says things that are mind-blowing. Be kind. Be patient. Be humble. Forgive one another. Right? Last week, we talked about how the gospel is simple, but it is not easy. Forgiveness, humility, patience, kindness, simple to talk about, but not easy to walk out. Right? Humility is understanding that you can take correction from other people without hating them. Humility is not always getting your, right, your way, is, is being willing to be wrong. Not easy, especially if you have competitive bones in your body. You guys saw the egg game, right, on the video. That was the, the look of winning on me and Jenny's face right there. <laughs> To correct one another, as David said in the video, being people that are willing to take the step and not live in false harmony with each other, but are willing to say, brother, sister, I love you enough to say that you can't keep going on 
doing it this way. To live in peace, to sing with thankfulness to God, to allow the word to dwell in you richly, to know God's word inside and out, to do everything for the glory of God. Paul is describing a culture that the church needs to live in. And if you read all of his epistles, all of his letters, he's really just describing the same thing over and over again in different ways according to the context of the church that needs it. And the truth is that healthy cultures build healthy organizations. And so that is why we see in Scripture so much that they have focused on the culture of the church and not the organization of the church. Because the organization of the church should come secondary to the culture of the church. And what I kind of want to rest on today is about the culture that we are building here, that we believe God wants to create through us. And there are three things that I think define a healthy culture that I want to talk about, that I think are important for us to understand as a church. When we think of who is Zion, what is this church, what, what are they doing, where do they want to go, where this is the type of place, this is the type of church that we want to build. The first thing that every healthy culture has is the understanding that everyone is a part. Everyone is a part. What does this mean? This means that you do not need permission to care for somebody. That if you see your neighbor is hurting, that you see somebody in the church needs help, you don't need to be part of the helps ministry in order to help them. In a healthy culture, everyone knows that they have a part to play. They know what the values, they know what the norms are in the culture. That's what Paul is trying to establish that you are kind, you are patient, you are forgiving with one another. In other places, you care for one another, you love one another. That is what binds everything together. Everyone is a part. Do you know that we believe at our core that you do not have to be on the greeting team in order to greet a new person on Sunday? <laughs> Did you know that? You know, one of the things I try to instill in all of the members going through membership class is that we are all part of building this culture together. We have a greeting team, but that doesn't mean that it's only the greeting team's job to greet people. It's all of our jobs. We have a team that tries to care for people, but it's not only that team's job to care for people, it's all of our jobs. It's in scripture, it says, bear one another's burden." In unhealthy organizations, it's that person's job to do that. Oh, it's that person's job to help clean. It's that person's job to disciple. It's that person's job to pray because they're on the prayer team. In healthy cultures and healthy churches, this is what all of us do. And this is how we do it. We want a place where it is normal to be part of us, that to be part of our culture, to be part of our church is to learn to be loving towards the person that is sitting next to you. It is to learn generosity of things and of resources with people who do, may not have what we have. 
It is to care for one another when we are having good times and somebody else is having a hard times that when life inevitably reverses the scenarios that those people that are now having good times and I'm having hard times can care for me. The very hallmark of a healthy culture is that every single person is a part. And what we do as a church is we are building a culture no matter we know it or not. Uh, I, I remember one time I was in my business. This was right before I got married. Uh, me and David St. Jean, he's, he's the guy on the video and our piano player, in case you don't know. Um, we went to work at a place. So this one company had hired me as a consultant. Uh, his business wasn't doing well. Uh, it was in one of those printer, they would lease printers to people. Uh, and I'll never forget this, guy's, this guy and this situation because it was right before I got married and everybody's trying to lose weight, you know, for their marriage day. And <laughs> for me, I decided to put myself in the most stressful situation I've ever had in my life. And in six weeks, I had not gained any weight, okay? For 10 years, I was the same weight for 10 years. Like once I hit 13, that was my weight and that was my weight for 10 years. In six weeks, I had gained 15 pounds, which is a lot for anybody, but when it's like 20% of your body mass, that's crazy. <laughs> and I remember I walked into this situation, and I was like, oh, yeah, I can fix this. And I looked at the organization, and I thought, okay, you're making bad decisions here and bad decisions here. These are easy to fix. We just start making good decisions. But what I didn't realize, what I couldn't fix in a short amount of time was the bad culture that they had. And I didn't realize the bad culture that they had until I began to dive deep. And I remember being on a phone call with uh, the owner of the company, and he was talking to one of the banks that they would lease the equipment for the people through. And he was talking to the bank uh, and as he's talking to the bank, I hear the, the bank teller on the other line and the bank saying, okay, so we're going to give you X amount of dollars for the equipment. We're not talking low sums of money. We're talking sixty dollars to $100,000 that the bank was about to fund a piece of equipment that was going out. And so the guy would say, yep, we're, this, is, this is what we're doing. And I remember the bank guy on the phone saying, all right, this is only for the equipment, not for the service agreement. So with printers, what they have is they have a lease payment that you pay or like a mortgage on your house you pay every month for like whatever they captured you for, for like seven years, five years. This is your monthly payment to pay off the loan that the bank is giving you for the equipment. And then you have a service payment. This is your fee that you pay every month. So whenever your printer breaks, and I mean, it is the joke of every office that your printer will break. This is, this is like a fact of life. The service repairman will come within 24 hours and they will fix the printer. So bank guy says, okay, this is only for the equipment, not for the service. Owner says, yes, hangs up the phone, calls the customer, and he says, okay, we got you the loan. It's going to cover your equipment and your service. We're good to go. And I think, oh, okay, all right, that's interesting. I'm going to have to talk to him about that. And then I... Remember, a couple days later, I was in another department. I was with the, 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 what do you call those people that call and everybody hates them? Yeah, the tele, telemarketers. There you go. Sorry if you're a telemarketer. <laughs> 
Um, those are like immediate hangups. God's still working in my heart with those people. <laughs> so I was talking to this one lady in charge of telemarketing, and I hear her talking on the phone about like everything that they are going to provide. And I remember hanging up the phone. I was like, you know, I'll change her name. Uh, I'm trying to think of a name, someone not in the church. Uh, all right, I'm, I'll give her what is like Sally. There you go. Thank you, Heather. I have a lot of audience participation today. So I'm, I'm like, Sally, that didn't seem right. Are we actually going to do that? And she was like, oh, no, we're not going to do that. We just need that to land the deal. And I was like, oh, interesting. Um, we got to start talking about that. That's, that's not good. Uh, and, and fast forward another week, and one of the service managers calls me into the service room, and he says, Justin, look at this room. And I'm like, yeah, what about it? He says, do you notice anything? And I did remember a few weeks earlier that room was packed with equipment, and now it was not packed with equipment. There was only a few pieces of equipment sporadically through the room, and I was like, yeah, you guys went through equipment. He was like, no, we didn't. Uh, that was full, uh, and it should still be full. Somebody has robbed us. And I was like, wow, okay, so how much money worth of equipment is in there? It's about uh, $20,000 to $30,000 worth of a toner. So that's, anybody that knows printers, I know way too much about printers if you're wondering. <laughs> toner is that ink or whatever that prints out the pages, and it is expensive if you ever had to buy it. Refilling a toner, one thing could be like $500 to $2,000. It was crazy. And so I'm like, okay, so somebody robbed us. Nice. The only people that would have had access to this place is one of the employees. So I go on the camera, and sure enough, we had one, the other service manager every day was taking a big piece of toner, putting it under a shirt, and walking right out. And then, and that was it. For the last six weeks, he had been taking one every single day and walking right out. And I just... I was just like, this place is crazy. What is going on? <laughs> now, I'm going to be honest, right? I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm, we're going to have confession moment. <laughs> I remember my last day there, right? I had gained 15 pounds. I was going to get married in about a month and a half. I was highly upset about my entire situation there. And I'm looking at all of the employees, and it had... Let me see, I, I truly gave my life to the Lord when I was 18. I think I was 23. So it had been five years since I had cursed at anybody. And on my way out, I remember dropping a few bombs on everybody and feeling really good about myself on the way out. <laughs> that is the level of frustration. I mean, I had had so many things happen to me over the last five years, but nothing cracked me quite like that of looking into 20 people's eyes and just letting them have it. <laughs> Dropping the mic and then walking away. <laughs> but as I look back at that time now, I realize that there was a culture of dishonesty. From the very top to the employees that what culture does is it breeds like-mindedness. When you come to work to a place, there could be a culture of working late where everybody goes home at nine o'clock and you thought you were signing up for a nine to five, right? It, there, there could be a, a culture of working from home, right? These are, these are just, these are norms that are part of an organization. Well, this, this business, this norm was dishonesty and not only were they being dishonest to the 
clients or to the, the people that they were selling to, but now they were being dishonest to each other. And the more that you kind of learned about the politics of the offices, you realized that it was just one lying game on the other. And this is what culture breeds. So culture can either be breeding good things or bad things. And one of the good things that we want to do in our church is that we want to create norms around everyone being part of the church. Of saying that when you come in, it's actually normal to greet somebody, to welcome people. It's normal to hang out with each other after just meeting on a Sunday. It's, it's normal to invite people into your home. And what we want to do is we want to look out for those bad things that are becoming cultural norms that everybody is a part of and say, God, forgive us of these corporate sins. God, forgive us of these bad habits. We repent and we turn away. But the good thing that we want to say is that in a culture that all of us are part of what God wants to do here at Zion, that there is no such thing as a spectator in our church, that we are all part of what God wants to do. Whether you are here for the first week, one of the, the things I love is there's a guy, he moved to Florida now, Stephen. He came his first week. This dude was the man. And Mike, he was one of Mike Vigo's friends. Mike told me, Justin, Stephen said he's down to serve. And I was like, that is the wrong thing to tell a church planner or pastor. And I'm both of them. So this is bad. And so I went up to Stephen. I was like, yo, bro, I heard you're down to serve. And he said, yes. I was like, all right, I'll meet you at U-Haul next week, 7.30 a.m. That dude, every single week for the next six months, met me and David at U-Haul, 7.30 a.m. Why? Because this is, this is part of the church that everybody throws their hands in the game. I am not exempt from it. Nobody is exempt from it. We all help where we can. When someone is here for the first time, how do we act towards them? When someone is having a bad morning, do we write them off and turn our shoulder to them the next time? No, how do we act towards a person like that? When someone did us wrong, do we forgive them or do we forget them? How are we acting as a church? Every single person is part of building that culture together. How do we lead one another? How do we follow one another? There are times where I can be leading and there are times where I will be following all within this church. And how we do that with one another will set standards and norms with each other. We want to build a place where the things that we read in scripture are the things that we practice together. This is not the job of the professional. This is not the job of the pastor. This is not the job of the worship leader or the prayer ministry leader or the Bible study leader. This is our job together to live this way. There was never distinctions in scripture of who was supposed to live and act this way and walk these things out and who wasn't. We were all supposed to do it together. The second thing that I think really builds healthy cultures is shared values. Where a people can say, we value these things and we all agree on that. And our church, if you've been here long enough, you've heard about this. We have three values the first value that we have is community, which can be defined as sacrificial love. You know, I remember the first time I saw this value really coming to light was in the first few months of our church. Uh, we had some people over, and Joe Khalil, our resident DJ, uh, where are you, Joe? There he is. He's right there. I love Joe. 
Um, Joe Khalil was at the house, and we had just had a dinner party, and you know, back then, I wasn't as good at doing the dishes as I was now, uh, and so our dishes had been piling up, and they were overflowing. Joe had happened to wander into our kitchen. Uh, it was the no-go zone. He saw the dishes, and he was like, hey, I'm going to do your dishes, and I was like, no, you're not allowed to do the dishes, but Joe did the dishes. I mean, who goes to somebody's house to hang out and does their dishes? Only awesome people. Uh, <laughs> And I remember after he left and everybody left, like me and Heather had a reflection moment with one another, like, holy cow, like this is actually happening. Like people love each other enough to like wash other people's dirty dishes, you know, like there's a close, I had known Joan for like two months at that point. (laughs) We were not at the level of uh, of brotherhood to just be walking into each other's kitchen and washing dishes. Like, we, we were not there yet. There takes a level of friendship to say yes to that and a level of friendship to offer that. And that was one of the first times that I saw, like, man, this is, this is actually happening. We are becoming a community where people are willing to lay down their, man, their, their pride, their comfortability, their contentness to... Say, like, what, what do you need? How can I be available today? Yeah, let's, let's, let's be with one another. Let's share with one another. Let's, let, let, let's have a time where we're together, but we're, we're not just hanging out and having fun, but we're actually talking about our lives with one another. I can tell you, before we started the church, I had been in maybe one or two text group chats, one or two. And both of them, I was trying to get out, but dumb Android, you know, there's that one person with an Android in the group chat that ruins it for everybody, and I couldn't get out of those two group chats. But now my life is consumed by group chats of people in the church, and it's like part of the norm that, it's, that, that we are now sharing daily life with one another, whether we're reading scripture with one another, whether we're accountable with each other, where we're throwing dumb memes back at each other throughout the day, talking about work, whatever it is about serving. It has been one of the things like, my Lord, people, like I'm an introvert of introverts, Heather can tell you one of the things that was hardest for her to learn about me and hardest for myself to break were like bad introvert habits of like, hey, I'm married now, but it's Saturday and I'm not going to talk to you till around 7 p.m. I'm just going to, I'm going to put my headphones on and I'm going to pretend you don't exist. If you could pretend I don't exist for the rest of the day, that would be great. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Didn't work well, you know, had a change. (laughs) But being in a place where I could say that the thing about introverts is we like close community, not just small talk. Like we like real friends. And so finding people that were truly friends, that man, I said, I have a prayer request. I need help with this, that I actually have people that will pray with me and pray for me. That if I need to talk through something, that I have people that are there to talk. If I have something that I want to laugh about, I have people that I know will laugh with me. This is the joys of community, that if I have if I have a free night and it's like 6 p.m. and I want to hang out at 7.30, guess what? There's lots of people I can talk to and I have a place to go. Uh, one of the first ways that we defined community in our church was people always having a place to go. You know, in a city where we live so close to one another, yet we are so lonely, one of the hardest things to find is somebody or a place that you can always go where you'll know you'll have good company 
and godly friendship and godly conversation. And that is one of the great values of our church. The second thing was discipleship, growing in our love and obedience to God's word. You know, growing up in church, discipleship a lot of times was not looked at culturally as a shared value system. It was looked at as an organizational thing. And I'll tell you this, it, the, the, the sacred cow of churches and discipleship is small groups. If you have been in church long enough, you have been a part of the small group statistic. If you are not in a small group, you are not godly, you are going to hell, and you are not being discipled properly. Get in a small group, right? I have heard that mantra from so many different churches at so many different times. Uh, and I realized something, that here I am, a pastor, and I have never really grown in my greatest times through small groups. And so I decided we were not gonna have small groups in our church. And so what we have instead is we have a culture of discipleship that is still being grown, which, you know what? You know how I was discipled? I was discipled through meals. I was discipled through prayer meetings. I was discipled through Bible study. I was discipled through correction. I was discipled through hands-on action and service. These are the ways that I was discipled. And so what we want to do is not say, if you want to be a disciple, go through this program, and at the end you spit out 100% disciple. No, discipleship is a process. It is a value. It is a lifestyle of saying, God, I want to know you more. I want to know your word. I want it to dwell richly in me that I become more obedient to you. And guess what? You don't do that just on your own. You do that when you pray and read alone, but you do that with others. And so what we want is a shared value of we want to be disciples and to disciple, which means discipleship can happen over a meal where somebody, maybe somebody that's single is going over uh, somebody in a relationship or engaged, a single going over a married couple's house and saying, wow, so this is what it's like to have kids. Maybe I don't want to be in a rush to get married and have kids. <laughs> That's good discipleship. <laughs> you know, the discipleship is, is inviting other people into your life as Jesus did to walk with you, to hang out with you, to share a roof with you, to pray with you, to be discouraged with you, to sometimes get mad, or, mad at each other because this happened when Jesus went to pray and he said, watch with me, and he kept going back and his disciples were falling asleep. And he had to correct them and say, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You can't stay up and pray with me. I'm over here praying and blood, sweat, and tears coming out. And you guys are sleeping. Discipleship is much more than a program. Programs have their place, but that is not how we disciple. We have Bible studies to learn and to become more obedient to God and grow us as a disciple of God. But to be a disciple, to have a value of discipleship is to value growing in our obedience to God and to his word. And our third value, creativity, which is walking in excellence in our God-given talent. It's about following the creator for what you have been created for. It doesn't mean that you have to be an artist. It doesn't mean you have to be good at Instagram or a great photographer or a videographer. It doesn't mean any of that. 
God, as the ultimate creator, created. He created us in his image and his likeness. And what I have always found is people who master something are people who can be creative with it. And I believe God has given each and every single one of us things to master, talents and gifts that we can then be creative with. One of my favorite, recently I I saw this is, I don't know if she's in here, hopefully she's not because she's going to kill me, uh, is Marilyn Alcade, right? Marilyn, I found out recently, I've known Marilyn since she was like eight or seven years old. I've known her forever. Uh, But recently I found out that Marilyn is an amazing operations person. Uh, Just absolutely incredible. And so Marilyn is on the Z Kids team. So I was like, wow, Marilyn, you're amazing at this. Can you help us with operations with the team? And all of a sudden, Marilyn started creating. She started creating systems, to-do lists, you know, get it done sheets, and all this other stuff, which me, I am not a detail-oriented person at all. I'm bad at logistics. And her understanding of operations, I look at that and I say, wow, that is creativity. Someone who could put together a beast Excel sheet, I just got to give props to those people because I can't do that. And so many times we have this understanding of creativity that it's like, oh, these are the creative folk and I'm not in that group. But no, creativity is just walking in your God-given talents and excellence of saying, God, whatever you have made me for, whatever you have created me for, God, I want to use everything I have for the glory of God. And I cannot glorify him if I do it poorly. The third thing that I see really builds a great culture is collective mission. And this is the last thing we're gonna talk about. You know, the mission of the church And therefore, the mission of our church is seeing people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I say this all the time. If if we do not keep this mission at our forefront as a church, we did an entire three-month series of what it means to be on mission in our life over the summer. If we do not keep this at the forefront, we are becoming a social club and not a church. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist for the people outside of these walls. We exist to see people come to the saving knowledge of the grace of God and what he has done for us through the incarnation, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Spreading that news, that good news to all and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work, to bring people to him. We cannot have a healthy culture as a church if we do not have a shared mission. This is why we exist. This is why we do what we do. This is why we gather on Sundays. This is why we grow as disciples. This is why we're here on earth. If the end game was just for us to get saved, when we got saved, that would be it. God would take us into heaven. We would be good. That would be the end of the story. But it is not the end of the story. We have a mission as a church. And that is to see the lost come to know Jesus Christ. That every time in my prayer, no matter what I am praying for or who I am praying about, I always pray, God, help me to be someone who reaches the lost. 
Because that is the mission of my life. That is the mission of this church. That is the mission of every disciple, of every believer. How can I spread the good news about Jesus Christ? This past year, my favorite highlight was by far our baptism service. To see 23 people baptized in the summer was one of the most incredible things that I had witnessed. Because what that was, was that was us truly participating in the mission of God, seeing people publicly declare that they are now being buried and resurrected with Jesus Christ, that the old man has passed away and the new man has come, that they have been renewed and God has created all things new in them. Man, that is why I wake up. A lot of people ask me, you know, what is it like to be a pastor do you hate it? And you know, and the truth is, pastoring is a tough job, but I love, absolutely love what I do. And the reason I love what I do is because every single day, it is my job to help people understand the saving grace that has saved me. And I can tell you, that is the thing that has called me to ministry when I wasn't in ministry I remember I took about a year and I thought, you know, maybe I, I shouldn't do this ministry thing. And I was just focusing on my business. And I, was, I woke up one morning and I was sitting at my desk and I was doing work. I, I, I was not on mission. I was doing really nothing, but I was just doing my work. And I just felt this nagging in my heart and I, this, this thought of, Justin, you're not getting anybody saved. What are you doing with your life? And I just began to cry. And I said, God, open a door for me to get back and do ministry. Uh, because obviously I think you can work and see people saved, but I was not walking in what God has called me to do. And so I wasn't doing anything God has called me to do, including getting people to hear the good news of God. And that is the thing I wake up with, that is the thing I go to sleep with, that is the thing I think about every single day is, Father, how do we get people to see your goodness, your graciousness towards us? Can you stand with me? One thing I'm really excited about is that every single time that the room grows is I think we have more people that are on mission. We have more people with these values. We have more people that are going to be a part of what God wants to do. At the end of the day, quantity is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the quality of the culture that God is building. And what I see what he's doing here is I see him at work instilling his heart into every single person that comes. And what I'm really excited about is the thing that God wants to do with this church is the values of this church being shared values with more people, the mission of the church being the shared mission of more people, that every single person is a part of what God is doing here, that we're not building a stadium spectator sport, but we are building a body where every single person has a function. 
And so ultimately what I want to ask today is my call, is if you want to be a part of what God is doing here, then I want to ask you to take a step and commit and say, you know what, Justin, sign me up. Where can I go? We have membership classes coming up in a few weeks. On January 20th at 10 a.m., we meet for membership. If you want to be a part of this church, if you want to say, I want those values to be my values, I want that mission to be my mission, I want to be a part of what God is doing here. If you want to hear more about what each of these things mean and how it plays out in the daily life of the church, then I encourage you, come and be a part. It is a six-week membership class. We meet from 10 a.m. to 10.45, right before service on Sundays for six weeks. Everybody that you saw come up here before I began to preach, those are people that just graduated from those classes and became members. We have around 70-something members in our church at this point. These are people that say, I want to be part of what God is doing here. You don't have to sign up. You can just come on January 20th. Take out your calendar. Take out your to-do list. Whatever you got to do, make that mental note. Because as we move into the third year of ministry, what I am praying for is God I pray that we see more and more people continue to build the culture that you have called us to build, that we would be a city on a hill, a shining light in the neighborhood of Bay Ridge, in the city of New York, that we would be a church that spreads the good news of your gospel to all that it wouldn't be about how quickly we can scale a system or an organization, but it would be about how we can grow people in this healthy culture that the church has left us with from the beginning of its inception. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for the last two years. I thank you for every single person who has served, for every single member, for every leader, God. I thank you for every person, Lord, that has lent a helping hand, that has prayed over a person next to them, that has been to someone's house, has helped clean up, has given somebody a hug. Father, I thank you for every single person that has made this body what it is. Lord, I pray that as we go into this next year, Lord, that we would continue to remember one thing, that it is you who builds this house. Lord, that it is not us, that we don't do it on our own. We don't do it with great strategy. We don't do it with lofty thoughts or with amazing wisdom. But God, we do it by the power of your spirit. So Lord, I pray that in this next year, Lord, that we would experience greater God of your power, greater God of your spirit, greater God of your blessing over this house. Lord, that the lost would find a family Lord, and that we would grow into one people with one mission. In Jesus' name I pray.